Morning, everybody. As uh, Pastor Anthony said, today we begin a new series. And this is a wonderful story of how the Israelites entered God's promised land. But our story actually begins much earlier, over 40 years earlier, when the Israelites, the descendants of the man Israel, were slaves in Egypt. The book of Genesis tells how that happened. Israel, who was originally named Jacob, had moved with his family to Egypt during a time of great famine. His son, uh, Joseph, was a high official in Egypt, one of the highest officials there, in fact. But decades later, after he died, Joseph's service was forgotten. His people were enslaved and made to work for the Egyptians. So God promised Moses his first prophet, that God would rescue his people from slavery and Moses would lead them into the promised land. Most of it uh, is where the state of Israel is today. And God did rescue his people. God forced the Egyptians through a series of miracles to release all the Israelites. God parted the Red Sea. God brought them safe into the Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments. And that part of the story is in the book of Exodus. Unfortunately, the Israelites complained too much. They went and made an idol to worship. And when they finally neared the promised land, they got scared. Moses had sent spies into the promised land, known as Canaan in those days. The spies scouted the land for 40 days, and they came back trembling. They said, yes, the land did flow with milk and honey, but the people there were too strong. The cities were fortified and very large, they said, and there were already too many people there. The Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. When they heard this, the Israelites went into an uproar. One spy, Caleb, tried to quiet them down and said, we can do it, we can conquer them. But the other spies said, no, we can't defeat them. They are stronger and taller than us. The spies said, we are like grasshoppers compared to them. And these spies convinced all the people. And the people lost their heart. They cried the whole night. And next morning, they grumbled against Moses. The Israelites said, let's choose another leader. Let's go back to Egypt. They would rather have been slaves in Egypt than a free people in God's promised land. They had forgotten all God had done for them. Two of the spies tried to persuade them otherwise. Caleb and Joshua pleaded with the Israelites not to fear the inhabitants of Canaan. They said it was very good land and God would bring them safely in. Joshua and Caleb begged the Israelites not to rebel against God. How did the Israelites respond? They tried to stone Joshua and Caleb. And you can read all of this in the book of Numbers. Because all these trembling Israelites were too scared, because they grumbled against God 
and Moses because they forgot all that God did for them, because they refused to enter the promised land. God said that all of them, aged 20 and above, would never step foot on the promised land. They would die in the wilderness instead, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they trusted God. So the Israelites remained in the wilderness for 40 years, and all who doubted God died. All who feared to go into the promised land died. All the spies who gave a bad report died. Then one day, according to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses went up Mount Nebo in the land of Moab. He was by then 120 years old. And God showed him all of the promised land. And God told Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. And God said to Moses, I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not go over there. And so Moses died in the land of Moab. Joshua took over as leader. He was over 80 years old. And this is where the book of Joshua starts. Let me read to you the first nine verses of chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. And it begins, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your presence. Now we pray as we look to your word, speak to all our hearts and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have noticed in this passage that God's command to Joshua to be strong and courageous is repeated. 
God says it to Joshua three times in this passage and once more elsewhere in chapter 1. Joshua, who was by now, as I said earlier, over 80 years old, obviously took it to heart because he himself would later tell the Israelites to be strong and courageous. Today, we are the new people of God, grafted like a wild olive shoot into the tree of Israel. We are the new Israel. So why do we have to be strong and courageous today? I think we have to be strong and courageous today because this fallen and sinful world can be a hostile place to people of faith. Faith is seen as unscientific superstition. People of faith are mocked as deluded and blinkered. People of a different faith can be attacked, even Christians. Two weeks ago, a book by Martin Moserbach was published on the 21 Christians who were beheaded by IS militants on the beach in Libya in 2015. 21 people killed just for being Christians. Last month also marked the second anniversary of the kidnapping of Pastor Raymond Cole, who disappeared in Malaysia in February 2017. This was reported widely by Channel News Asia and The Straits Times. Pastor Raymond Cole is not the only pastor to be kidnapped. Pastor Joshua Hilmi disappeared in November 2016. What happened to these pastors? There have been no ransom notes, no contact from kidnappers. We must pray for them. But these are not unexpected cases. Jesus himself said in John 15, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And they did persecute Jesus. We will face opposition when we try to do God's work in this world, when we try to follow his will, when we try to live as Christians. It isn't always brutal or deadly persecution. It could be name-calling, labeling. For example, Christians are seen as homophobic. It could also be spiritual persecution. When I was at my last church, Aldersgate Methodist Church, I once preached a series of sermons on issues like abortion and homosexuality. I tried very hard to give a balanced, loving and gracious approach. But after one sermon, during the second service, my eyes mysteriously swelled shut. I had developed an allergic reaction to something in between services. And doctors in the congregation came up and checked me while a hymn was being sung. The next week, as I was preaching, my mom in the congregation suddenly fell ill. She had to be taken in an ambulance to hospital. I don't think these were coincidences. I believe that there are demonic forces that work against us, especially when we do God's work. And that's why we have to be brave and courageous as Christians. You are all trying to live as Christians. You are working hard for God where he has placed you. 
And maybe sometimes you feel alone and unacknowledged. Maybe sometimes you feel discouraged, even overwhelmed. Maybe you're sick and you've been praying. And you think God doesn't hear you. Why can we, like the Israelites of old, like Joshua, be brave and courageous today? Well, this passage in Joshua chapter 1 gives us three reasons why we can be strong and courageous. Firstly, God keeps his his promises to us. God keeps his promises to us. Secondly, God's word is a guide for us. And thirdly, God is always with us. God keeps his promises, all of them. God promised to take the Israelites out of Egypt. He did. God promised that he would give the Israelites a rich land. And he did. The spies admitted the land flowed with milk and honey. And since then, God has made many other promises to us. For example, he promised that we would share in his nature and his power and escape sin's corruption. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, to 4, we read, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And there is corruption in this world of sinful desire. There are, for example, temptations, temptations to lie, temptations to do whatever we can to gain an advantage, temptations to repay evil for evil, to take revenge, temptations to view pornography, to visit prostitutes. What is God's promise here? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, so that you may be able to endure it. There are a great many promises and comforting words God says to us. And these are found in his word, written down. So the second thing I want to say is that God's word is a guide for us. How do we know what is expected of us? How do we know what we should do? How we should behave? It is in God's word. God's word written in the Bible. So we have to know the Bible. We have to read it. Now I tell you, It takes an effort for me to read the Bible devotionally. Because as a lecturer in a Bible school, I study the Bible as a professional. I look at a passage, I have to pull out commentaries to check out the background, the context. I use software on my computer to look at the original Greek text. I dig up what other people said on the topic. Right now, I have eight books on hell on my dining room table because I have to give a lecture on hell. It takes an effort, in other words, for me just to read the Bible and let the words soak in. It doesn't happen if I don't set aside time every day for it. Even when I use an app on my phone 
that gives me a Bible reading plan, I have to consciously slow down and not rush through the scheduled readings for the day. I have to work at knowing the Word of God in my life. And I imagine it must be harder for you because you don't have the resources of a Bible college right at your front door. Well, the Word of God isn't just written down in Scripture. The Word of God has come to life and has been incarnated. Jesus is the Word of God. And we can know Jesus and have a relationship with Him because He lives in us. It says so right there in your prayer bulletin, prayer principle number 21. All Christians can know Jesus personally. If we don't know the Word of God, the Word of God inscripturate in the Bible and incarnate in Jesus, how do we know and claim God's promises? God's Word is a guide for us. And thirdly, we can be brave and courageous because God is always with us. Here in the text, Joshua is told that God will never leave him or forsake him. But God says that elsewhere, repeatedly, to all his people. For example, Isaiah 43, verse 2. God says and promises, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God is always with us. But we don't always realize that or sense Him because we are not used to His presence. We don't spend enough time with Him. We don't talk to Him enough. Consequently, we don't recognize Him beside us. But He is there with us no matter what. Paul could say emphatically in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with us. And if a loving God is always with you, what is there to be afraid of? If God is with us, we can respond as His people in all situations. I mentioned earlier the book, the 21 the author went to Egypt to talk to the families of the murdered victims. And this is what the author said in an interview he gave to the online newspaper Crux about the families. I found a completely different point of view of martyrdom. No lamentation, no mourning, no pity, but instead pride and happiness. This was not seen as an injustice or an incident that should not have happened. There was really the presence of the supernatural and the lives of these very simple people who were not mystics at all. These were people with very simple theologies, but it was a real theology. Martin Morabach said that he wrote this book for Western people, 
Not in the sense of, look at, look at those poor people in Egypt, but rather look at those rich people. They can be a model for us in showing a character of Christianity that is not as skeptical and has not become bourgeois. Let us be like those rich people who know God and his ways intimately so that we fear nothing, not even death. Let us not be afraid to be God's people. What is the one thing you can do following this sermon? I say maybe it is to memorize verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Memorize that. You'll be tested on it next week. By the way, as an aside, Joshua in Hebrew, Yeshua. Do you know what is the Greek form of Yeshua? Yeshua in Hebrew, Jesus or Jesus in Greek. Joshua and Jesus both come from the same Hebrew name. And just like Joshua, Jesus is leading us into God's promised land. God's kingdom. There, there is the promise of eternal life. A life of love, grace, peace and joy. Will you be like the Israelites who trembled and didn't dare claim God's promises, who were too scared to enter the promised land? Or will you be like Joshua and Caleb, who marched boldly into the land, conquered it and entered into the life God promised them. Come pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word and your promises, your presence and your love. We pray that you're always there for us. We pray for your word that guides us. We pray, Lord, that you are faithful and loyal and trustworthy God, even when we are not faithful and loyal. We pray, Lord, teach us to be strong and courageous. Teach us, Lord, to be the people you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.